Like that's it. We quit. No more Monsters Mayhem Mysteries or any other M-words. You ruined M. Come on, guys, you can't quit the gang. It's the gang, as in the gang, also the gang. Yeah, don't you see? It's us. We're all us. Without you, we're not us. Agreed. Helping people by solving mysteries is just an added benefit. What's important is we're best friends out seeing the world, together. I'm sorry, gang, but our minds are made up. We're useless when it comes to mysteries anyway. The fourth and fifth wheels. Anybody can do what we do. And to prove that, we found replacements. How's it going? Welcome back to Heavy Metal, a podcast about Scooby-Doo. I'm your host, Ethan Brundine, and each week, myself and a guest will take you through a mystery from somewhere in the vast history of the greatest cartoon of all time. My guest this week is one of my very good friends, Mason Smith, and the episode that we're talking about today is Be Cool Scooby-Doo Season 2, Episode 4. How to Train Your Coward. This also happens to be the last week in Vampiral, an entire vampire-themed month here on Heavy Metal. Mason, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for agreeing to do this with me, uh, even you know this late at night. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Glad to be here. Um, welcome to the show. You... We're kind of forced into this, I'll be honest. Um, For sure. I, yeah. I, I'm I here said, to support you. <laughs> which I appreciate. You know, I needed someone kind of last minute because uh, I had this. We've been doing this vampire themed thing, and the person that I wanted to have for the last week dropped out. And then um, I've been trying to get you on here for a long time. So I was like, this is as good an opportunity as any because uh, you. Are kind of you're you're not like super into Scooby Doo or anything, so I knew you wouldn't have like a, a tr- like an opinion on which episode you might want to cover that much. So I gave so you- like I watched. I don't know if I can I can I get into my experience with it. Of course, yeah. So like I know I watched it like as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. Most kids have. My cousins were actually like really really into it. Um, I wasn't, but I did watch my fair amount, and I actually did watch the. Um, I believe I don't think I watched the first one, but I think I watched the second live action movie mm-hmm. um, that was also directed by Chris Gunn, right? No, it was written by written? Um, by James Gunn. Yeah, James, I meant James Gunn. You know what I meant. I got um, you. But yeah, I uh, I watch. I remember watching that in theaters, though. For some reason, the only memory I have of it is all of the scenes with the like. Uh, the like single eye things that are chasing uh, Scooby and I think Shaggy yeah. maybe. Yeah. That's a, uh, I don't know why, but that memory is distinct. Uh, They're scary. I mean, that's the only thing I remember watching in theaters, but uh, yeah, like I've, I've seen a few. I, you know, it's crazy that like you remember that. that um, it's crazy that you remember that at all because that movie came out so long ago. Like we were I, little kids when that came out. God, like what was it? 2005 or something. I think so. Something like that. Maybe it doesn't four even possible. We were little kids. There's basically my, and then I think I caught like 
when I was older, when I was like, I want to say like probably, I don't know, maybe 11 to 14, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. I think there was like on Cartoon Network, I think there was also like a series where they were like little kids. I think it's a pup named Scooby-Doo. I think yeah. that's the name of it. Yeah. Uh, I also watched that. And that's about all I know. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, do you have, so you obviously have oh, and some the movies, the, the hex girls. Of I course. Them a lot. We love the hex girls. Yeah. So you have some cultural, um, uh, like appreciation of Scooby-Doo. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite member of the gang of the, of the big five? Probably not something you've ever been asked before, I would guess. Let's see. Uh, I mean, I feel like Shaggy is your go-to. Yeah, um, I like Shaggy. I also like him in, I guess, a less um, Scooby-Doo sense and more in the uh, kind of the recent meme culture that, what's his name, Matthew Lilliard, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I kind of like, um, I liked, I liked his depiction in the, in the live-action movies. Um, yeah, I mean, Matt Lillard, a national treasure, really. Um, there you go. So I guess uh, Shaggy or um, the Hex Girls. Right. Either, either or. Either or. We love them. Um, but of so, the gang, I guess Shaggy. And my yeah. least favorite is probably Fred. Fred's just lame to me. I'm sorry. You don't like Fred. You don't like Fred. That you, I, You're an asshole, frankly. Um, I love Fred. Fred's the best. So he's your favorite? No, he's not my favorite. <laughs> no, no um, I understand. For a very long time, Fred had no personality at all. Uh, but then they, they have not tried to spoil it yet. But I thought he was a little bit better in this new iteration. That I yeah, they watched. have tried. They have tried. Um, so you didn't know, obviously, about Vampirl. I did not tell you about Vampirl. No, um, I didn't. That's why I, I didn't even know that the episode was going to have a vampire in it until I was yeah. A classical surprise. Um, what are your thoughts on vampires in general? Do you like vampires? Um, yeah, I think they're interesting. I think they've been made kind of like how zombies have recently, like mm-hmm. I guess in the past like 10 or 15 years. Um, I think they've been made kind of like into more of like a uh, less dramatic kind of um, enemy, uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess, or, you know, horror thing um and more just there's a lot more leeway with how they're used now they can be used for you know dramatic telling um and romance kind of like how you know obviously twilight did which twilight is i think the reason why they're kind of like that now um they can be kind of comedic which was in this episode i thought it was except for the beginning i thought the beginning of the episode actually was doing well establishing dramatic and um scary tension but it was used more in like kind of a um, comedic sense throughout the episode instead yeah. of a uh, more horror sense, which I imagined back when they were kind of, um, you know, invented, they were probably a lot more, you know, scary to people than they are now. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't have, yeah, I like vampires. I think, I think they're fun. They can be done fun. Sure. Um, we talked about, I talked about on an episode Earlier on in April, I talked about Twilentine's Day, of course, our uh, our tradition when we were kids to, in high school to watch 
the Twilight movies every year on Valentine's Day. Um, and I expressed that at the time, I thought they were very dumb and, and silly. Uh, but as I have grown up a little bit, I've grown to really appreciate the Twilight movies. Um, have you found any appreciation for Twilight, or do you still look back at those and think of them as being very silly? I find it incredibly shocking that you have that opinion. No, I don't think they're very good movies. <laughs> I think, um, am I allowed to spoil them? Does that, yeah, does that matter? I, yeah, I'm sure that many people have heard it, have seen Twilight at this point, if they're going well, to. The, the, I mean, the only, the only good one is the last one. And mm. that's only because they have this, um, actually I, there, there are two scenes in the entire franchise I like, but I'll get to the second one in a second. But the first one, is the the smackdown battle that they have at the very end right um which of course is ruined by the revelation that it was all just a vision um and then the second one is the baseball scene i love the baseball scene in the first movie but uh overall oh, no i don't i think i have i have i have gone back and i've watched them and i've watched like commentaries on them by like cosmonaut variety hour that kind of stuff mm-hmm. i think they're fun to watch i think they're incredibly stupid Sure. Um, uh, I think they have merit just by, I guess, being cultural phenomenons. But no, I wouldn't exactly say I've gone back and watched them and have a new deeper appreciation. I watched them to get a laugh, and they still make me laugh. So it's the same level of appreciation. Yeah, I mean, that's as good as you can ask for, right? Um, What about the scene where uh, they have sex for the first time and break the bet? Is that not a third good scene? Uh, it's a scene. It happens. <laughs> it's a plot point in the movie. Um, it, breaking the part one shouldn't have existed. Um, but it was around that time where they found that you know because of Harry Potter, apparently they can make every movie be part one and part two. Yeah. So, yeah. um, but you yeah. like those Hunger Games, don't you? You love those those movies. Uh, the first one has shaky cam and it's harder to watch, but I like respect it. The, um, third one is kind of boring and I don't like part one is fine. Part two is a little worse in my opinion, but I think part two, I actually have a deep respect for catching fire uh, hunger games. Um, yeah, I like that movie. movie. I think like, at like, even if you weren't a hunger games fan, I think you could legitimately respect that movie because it's actually incredibly well done it's very yeah. engaging i think the the plot of it is very engaging and they um the environment is very interesting and they got rid of like the shaky cam issue in the first movie so honestly it's basically just the first movie with more nuance to it which is why i think it's a really good movie yeah uh I agree. I like Catching Fire a lot. And I think the first one's pretty good. Um, but yeah. I think that those mocking jays are like the worst uh, like offender in terms of splitting it into two parts. Um Oh, definitely. It was very bloated and you could tell they were like padding for time and I mean I wasn't I even you know, I read Mocking Jay and I didn't really like that book either. So yeah, I, agree. I guess I kinda went into the movie with already negative preconceptions, but it didn't really help my experience. So, but also the book is like 300 pages, so they didn't have a lot to, to work with, I don't think. Um, yeah, and of, it, was, it kind of felt like the J.K. Rowling effect where 
there's a bunch of like deaths that kind of just like happened. Um, yeah. I guess it's a controversial opinion in and of itself, whether or not the Deathly Hallows movie had a bunch of um, unnecessary deaths. That's neither here nor there, but just in mocking Jay, I felt like there was a bunch of unnecessary like tragedies that weren't really paid off. Yeah. Um, they were yeah. just there to make you feel sad, I guess. For sure. Shocking. For sure. Um, no unnecessary deaths in this episode of Be Cool Scooby-Doo, I don't think. Um, Absolutely not. It's a kid show. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. uh, doubt they were going to touch on something like that. But I, uh, yeah, no, definitely not. Um, we'll go through the plot here in a second. But first of all, like, I gave you two options of vampire episodes to pick. Um, yep. You didn't know that they were both vampire episodes. But I gave you two you options. You told me I saw like little titles of them, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then um, that was it. Because I like to go into things. I like to avoid. If I really care about something, I like to try and, um, unless it's something I absolutely can't live without saying, I like to avoid trailers or like information about them and then go in blind. Yeah. Um, so why did you pick this one? Like the other one I gave you was a, was an older episode of Scooby-Doo. Um so what made you choose this one over that one? Well, when uh, when Ethan asked me to participate, he told me he gave me an option between two episodes and texted me them. And uh, he texted me links to the plot summaries. I didn't um, click on them. But the images, um, but the links uh, created images for the mm-hmm. ep- for each either of the episode. And I could see one was the older, um, I think it was probably the classic series. And then one was a newer art style. And I went ahead and I wanted to watch the one with a newer art style because I've seen my fair bit of um, older Scooby-Doo episodes. I don't remember them super well, but, you know, um, I've seen, you know, the stuff like with the Abominable Snowman and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. I hadn't really seen any of the newer style, especially um, this one. So uh, the animation kind of caught me. So I was like, hmm, I don't really know anything about this one. I'd like to see, you know... um, how it's changed from what the isn't this isn't the original from like the 60s 1969 yeah so 60s and 70s yeah so um i just i guess i wanted to see how much it had changed or hadn't changed um yeah. so i picked that one because of the i guess the little image i saw in the art in it um let's talk about the art style because it's very controversial um some people think that it is very ugly other people think that it is um like new um you know like with the times i guess current um and which is not to say that those things can't be mutually exclusive but um what do you think about the art style of be cool scooby-doo okay so i thought this was kind of interesting when i watched it and realized the opinion i was forming i didn't really like how the gang looked Mm -hmm. i thought yeah i didn't really like how they looked but I liked how everyone else looked. Like mm-hmm. I liked how uh, the villain looked. I liked how, um, or I guess the vampire looked. I liked how the sheriff guy in the episode looked. I, yeah, I, I liked how they looked, and it kind of, to me, it kind of felt like when the animators were allowed to create characters that didn't have uh, preconceived designs, like the original gang does. And they were allowed to kind of draw it however they wanted. Um, 
they looked more natural and with you know in the confines of the world and they looked good but when we looked at the gang's design it looked kind of out of place and i guess part of that is just having prior information on how they are quote unquote supposed to look i guess in comparison to their classic 1960s designs or 1969 whatever but um i didn't really like how they looked i thought to me it was the faces yeah the 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 faces looked weird to me yeah and and scooby's head was this weird shape like (laughs) and towards the top of it it like got really small and i was like that looks weird to me. <laughs> He's got a big but, old schnoz. Yeah. 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 I feel, was, uh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, like, with the exception of, like, obviously when they were kids, um, this is the furthest that they have deviated from their, um, like, classic designs. Otherwise, it's pretty much been variations same, on the exact yeah. same thing. Which for, is, like, which is, it's, yeah, I found, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it was respectable. I thought, yeah. I mean, at the very least, it. I mean, you know, their designs are what I saw in that image, and it's caught my attention enough to want to pick that over a classic episode. So, you know, I guess props to that. It at least captured my attention. I just didn't think it really meshed well with the rest of the world that they were in. I like Be Cool Scooby-Doo. I think that it um, is very underrated because a lot of people didn't even give it a chance because when they announced it and they came out with like the promotional image and the gang looked like this, people were like, Oh, this looks terrible. What did they do? Like, this is not what, um, what I want from Scooby-Doo or whatever, but I think it's a fun show. I think it's, it's pretty funny most of the time. Yeah, and, I thought it was um, pretty good. It good. was, it was modern. Yeah. It was very, it was the, I could, the humor was different. Like it was funny, but I could, from what I remember with the classic Scooby-Doo, I found it to be, um, it relied on like kind of a different sense of humor in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what was like, I guess what was your perception of it all as a whole before we get into the plot here? Um, uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I mean, I guess it's a basic analysis, but, uh, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I thought, it, I thought it was entertaining. And um, I was I was trying to watch it with um, a somewhat of a more critical eye. Yeah. To it and uh, trying to compare it to um, the previous iteration as, um, that I'd seen of Scooby Doo, and so um, I found that it it did feel it did feel modern. Like the humor was different. Like so, um, I might be wrong, but um, in the original Scooby Doo, there's um, I know it's in at least a few of the episodes of the original Scooby-Doo. There's the whole um, series of doors in a room and then mm-hmm. everybody chases each other through each door. Right. And then yeah. everybody gets confused. Is that, is that original to Scooby-Doo? Did they um, make that kind of gag? I mean, I don't want to say that definitively. It's very possible that that kind of thing comes from like, looney tunes or something you know um but i mean i think that it would not be unreasonable to say that like scooby-doo is the like codifier like it's what everyone knows the most from Um, because i mean because you know i mean i've you know i've seen that in everything from you know um random kid shows even like south park now a lot you know a lot of cartoons and even some live action stuff will utilize you know Every everybody knows when you see a bunch of doors, then you know everything's gonna go crazy and 
they'll, you know, everybody follows each other in and out of each door. And yeah. Um, I mean, when people are doing that, they're very explicitly parodying Scooby-Doo. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I found like, that's an example of the kind of humor that was in the original Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what necessarily what the, you know, brand that has, but you know, it's just that level, that kind of humor. Whereas in this one, it was more um, satirical and there was some Mm -hmm. sarcasm. And then there was, there was one scene that um, is towards the beginning, and um, uh, it's when Shag. I don't know if I can get into the plot a little bit, but uh, when Shaggy and Scooby say, uh, "You know, we're done being scared. We don't really want to do this anymore. We're, you know, we quit." And then Daphne yeah. randomly has a trombone in her lap, and she goes, yeah. "Wow, this is a you know, this is a bad day to try and figure out how to play this trombone happily or something like that." So here, I'll play a sad trombone noise, and she goes, "Wah wah." And I was like, that's very, that, that's more modernistic humor. And that's very different from the more, Yeah, I don't know if you want to call it subtle humor in, um, it's more in, just uh, simple. Original, it's but very, it was, yeah, it was yeah. more simple and overt than um, that. So I did know, I noticed that change. So I will say that the, what, what you are missing out on, uh, when it comes to that, uh, trombone gag is that uh, with this series and this series only they introduced a new running bit where each episode daphne who previously had not had very much characterization um, daphne new, was a pretty girl right her <laughs> her new bit is that um each week she's decided to take on something new so like one week she's like i'm gonna be a mime or the next week she's gonna do you know learn how to be a uh, like a painter or whatever. So I guess, so that is a joke oh, this that week. Contextualizes like, that scene a little bit more yeah. for me because I was like, I was like, that was all right, but that was very random. Yeah. Very um, much out of nowhere. Um, so yeah, let's get into the plot. We start with a nice little co- cold open. We have this classic, like, you know, vampire castle in the, in a storm, just great, great, you know, gothic horror vibes. We love this kind of thing. Classic location for a Scooby-Doo episode. Um, and uh, they, you know, it's a cold open, so the gang's not here yet. And we see uh, a guy dressed up in a duck costume who's doing like a singing telegram thing where he's come to sing a a birthday song for a kid named Brayden, um, which I thought was funny because... All kids these days are named, you know, Brayden or Jaden or, you know, Layden. <laughs> that Actually, hopefully not Layden. I, I thought I thought it was funny, so I definitely get the joke. But um, I actually had subtitles on when I was watching it, and the subtitles spelled it as B R A Y D O N. And yeah. I actually had never seen that spelling of Brayden. So yeah. I thought it was funny that the joke was, you know, everybody's named Brayden, but it was a spelling that I didn't feel was very common at all. Yeah, definitely not. It's That's more of like a surname or something than it would be like a kid's name these days. Um, yeah. So yeah, this, this duck guy's here. He's, you know, he's invited in by this creepy looking uh, caretaker guy. He's got, you know, like a cloak on. Um, and he uh, he's gonna go make a phone call. Goes to this big old empty chamber uh, in which I don't know if you just mentioned it, I might have missed it. But um, did you gloss over the fact that this guy was in a 
like a duck costume. I think I did mention that, but yeah, yeah, this uh, duck no, guy. I think it's no, I I feel like that's relevant. He was in a random ass duck costume. He's a duck guy. He's singing a duck song. It's called Quacky Birthday. It's pretty good. Um, it's a funny little. He's at the wrong house. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a funny little song because he's talking about how he's going to charge the the kids' parents more for singing in the rain. Um, but uh, yeah, he's got the wrong house, so he's going to make a phone call. Um, but uh, he is led into this this creepy room with just a a phone and a coffin in it, um, which is great stuff because there is in fact a vampire in this coffin. Um, now, what do you think of this vampire design? I think it's terrific. Um, oh, no. That, that that kind of goes back to what I was saying. I did not like how the gang looked in this world, but it felt but like with everything else, they didn't have to rely on kind of previous designs, so they were allowed to do mm-hmm. whatever. So everyone else felt more natural. Like, even this random-ass duck thing, I thought looked good. Yeah. And so... Um, like I understand what you what you were saying earlier with the you know how nobody would give the show really a chance because of the art design because I agree I don't like how the gang looks I think it looks weird but yeah. everybody else from um, I'm not an animator or anything or an artist so I guess I don't have you know a super in depth um, informed opinion just from my own personal opinion I thought everything else looked really really good I thought the design of the caretaker was actually pretty good. I thought the duck was pretty good. And then, like you just said, the vampire looked um, really, really interesting and well done. And yeah. it looked far beyond like the simplistic design that like a lot of like kids shows would kind of just try and pass by. It felt like they actually cared. Yeah. Um, so I actually really enjoyed the design of the vampire. He's like, it's like a more of an ancient vampire. Like it's like a Nosferatu oh, design Correct. than it is a Correct. Dracula. Um, Correct. Which is fun because, like, I mean, more as vampire, monster, more monster-like, and less like you know, it's so humanoid, but yeah, it was less you know human, and it looked more um kind of I don't know if grotesque is the right word, but you know, more menacing, guess, monster, yeah. yeah, menacing. It's um, and like as Vampirl can attest, there have been lots of vampire episodes in Scooby Doo, and this is the first time that we've had one that looks like this, which I think is great. That 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 not only is like has Scooby-Doo been going on for long enough, but like the vampire like mythos and image is so broad enough that you can have so many different like variations on the same theme, you know, and different ideas, uh, which is good. Really good stuff. Um, so yeah, then we get this weird theme song, um, which is like barely even counts as a theme song. I think, um, honestly, I might've just pressed skip intro. I don't blame you. I mean, there aren't even any (laughs) lyrics to it. It's just, it's just like, a little guitar riff and then the episode starts either um, either i wasn't paying attention when it happened or i don't even remember it, it certainly does not leave it a lasting impression it's probably my number one complaint would be cool scooby-doo um because like scooby-doo has so many classic theme songs like you gotta you gotta try and throw right, but it, it, it. you know you're it was super quick right yeah that just kind of goes into the whole um that's more of the american entertainment yeah uh, modern um they have, you know, they've greatly diminished um, the amount of time that intros play. You know, they used to be like a minute plus sometimes, but now they're yeah. you know, really only like 10 to 15 seconds. Yeah. For me, that was really apparent. Um, you know, I watch anime and whenever it airs, so, you know, it's almost universal. 
all anime openings are, you know, exactly 90 seconds. But in America, whenever they air, they always air edited versions of the openings that keep them at about 30 seconds. Then I also watch, um, like, Better Call Saul, the sequel to Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. And that intro is literally, like, I think 10 or 15 seconds. Um, and you can I guess see I it. Um, mm -hmm. did, did you watch New Girl, Mason? Uh... Uh, my brother watched that. I don't. Uh, my brothers watched that. They liked it. I haven't yet. That's the one with uh, Zoe Deschanel, right? Yeah, um, I've watched that. But. So that's an interesting one where it went from this very long musical intro where they had like written a whole song because Zoe Deschanel is like a singer, so she sings this song, and then like in season two they cut the song to just be the chorus. So it's, now it's like thirty seconds, and then uh, they for no. A later season they cut the song completely too. it's now just just a musical like like a couple notes and still images and then just says new girl <laughs> um so they it's like over the course of like a few years they completely um like eliminated the theme song in real time which is interesting to watch um but i like a theme song you know yeah 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 I like, you know, yeah, I like, I like good theme songs. I think, I think it, I think it's a delicate procedure. Um, there are some that um, I feel like aren't engaging enough to really sustain the minute plus thing. Like um, I like the song in the game of Thrones intro, mm -hmm. but um, I kind of found it and I thought, you know, the, the graphics and everything in it were good, but I just, I found it a little bit too simplistic for me to, really constantly want to you know watch yeah. it for you know i think the intro is like a minute or over a minute yeah and i didn't really feel like watching that but yeah i think the intro should be um you can edit that up <laughs> i think the intros should be about like 30 seconds but yeah i don't even remember this one at all so i guess that should be rectified a little bit yeah so coming back from the theme song where you start in media res which i always love when scooby-doo do, does this when they start like at the end of another mystery um because mm -hmm. like i mean all the you know the rules or whatever are so predefined at this point that you can start at any point in a scooby-doo mystery and you understand exactly what's going on you know it's like there's a guy they got to get the mask off this is the formula so it's always very fun um I would love to watch a whole episode with this this villain though. He is, is another great design for like a 30 second gag basically, but like it's this big zombie guy, I guess. He's kind of like the Hulk if he was like a gray man. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so um I guess if anybody knows um the Batman, um I only know him from Batman Arkham City. If anybody knows the Batman kind of um franchise or whatever if you know who solomon grundy is he yeah. looked a yeah. lot like solomon grundy that's true you're right um yeah that's a great great call so yeah you know, we're, we're in the middle it's like it's obviously the end they're setting up this trap uh shaggy and scooby are dressed up as scientists you know they're doing the classic bit um and then uh fred's got a trap and of course the trap doesn't work um and I thought this was really funny because the, the zombie just like beats beats them up, like just just slapping them back and forth, like Hulk yeah, with Loki. That was, that was another thing. I felt like it was it was the, it was leaning into the more modern humor. There's um uh, a lot of um I felt like kind of original animations. Um, 
they, you know, they were allowed to do some stuff that you obviously can't really capture in real life. But mm-hmm. in general, as as animation as an industry has kind of matured, they've embraced the advantages of animation. That being that it allows you to do things that you can't necessarily do, obviously yeah. in real life. So um, there's a lot more kind of I don't want to say violence necessarily, but just more. Um, I guess as far as like slapstick humor goes, it's yeah. um, more kind of you know apparent, and you know you can have characters you know slamming the walls and iron bars and be perfectly fine. Yeah. And so in the in the episode, I you know I immediately noticed that it was a lot more. Um, again, I don't know if violent is necessarily the right word or right connotation for it, but there was more uh, physical stuff happening than from what I can remember in the other, in the older ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it sounds funny to say it's more cartoony, but like it, it literally is. Um, so yeah, like they, they get really beaten up, um, and they do eventually trap the monster, but Shaggy and Scooby are just put through the ringer. So they announce to the gang that they're going to quit. They're going to quit mystery solving um and they you know they, they're fed up they've been they've been you know abused too many times they're tired of being scared they're tired of being the bait and they're gonna quit but um to ease the transition they have decided to hire replacements for themselves um so they have they've hired these uh, a man and his dog. It is Morley and Bumpy are their names. Um, Were they supposed to be a reference to anything? I, I don't. I, I don't think so. It's truly nonsense names. I think. Um, like yeah, I was like yeah, I mean, yeah. I was like okay, we got this Morley and Bumpy guy now. Mm-hmm. Who again? Their designs like they. Yeah. It, it almost it almost clashes with the gangs because. They look um, normal and very um, uh, well integrated within the animation style of the series. And then you have the gang who kind of just looks very weird, especially Velma. I yeah. do not like Velma's design. I don't like Velma's design either. Um, yeah, very- I mean, Morley just looks like a dude. He's just like a guy. He's got like thinning hair and glasses and he's wearing like a flannel. <laughs> I guess. basically bald. Yeah, it's funny. It's a funny... Uh, funny bit for him uh like it's i mean not even like a, it's just it's, it's funny to be like this is the new shaggy and scooby and they're just the most normal looking guy and a dog you've ever seen like like bumpy doesn't talk he yeah. is he's a little like french bulldog i was kind of <laughs> wondering if they were maybe perhaps supposed to be a kind of stand-in for um for the audience yeah to kind of place themselves because um you know the other the the designs of the other characters that weren't the gang they you know worked well within the world but they were also you know very distinct and didn't necessarily have very uh accurate body proportions Mm -hmm. but um this guy was very plain all around i wouldn't say he was necessarily distinct yeah um so yeah it's morally and bump bumpy they're here and they're gonna take over for uh Shaggy and Scooby. Um, Shaggy and Scooby are going to teach them how to solve mysteries, but specifically just their roles. So they're not allowed to, you know, look for clues. 
they're not allowed to uh, do anything but um, but you know the Shaggy and Scooby roles, which are to be scared, do bits, you know, eat food, that kind of thing. The three um, they they called it the three F's: fear, yes. food, and then the uh, Daphne, Velma, and Fred were the third F: flashlights. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Flashlights is such is such a funny like delineation of what the rest of the gang does. Um that's really good. Fear food and flashlights is great. Um so yeah, they're they're just in this small town and they're at a red light and then all of a sudden a vampire attacks. It it is cl- clinging onto the side of the the van. It's attacking them before they even get to the castle, which uh I thought was interesting, but then later on we kind of realized that the the vampire's plot extends beyond the castle walls. Um, I have expected at when the episode first started, like right before the vampire showed up that there would, that the, it would end up being that the perpetrator was more Lee and bumpy. Uh, but then immediately the vampire shows up with the uh, like while they're there. So they would have to bend over backwards to explain that. But um I was half right. I as far as far as that plot goes, I uh, I suspect I, I won't say who it was he, quite yet, obviously, but uh, it was who I thought it was, or at least who I thought was involved was definitely involved. Um. So yeah, we get attacked by the the vampire. We 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 outrun him in the chase, and then we arrive at the castle where we meet our first suspect, who is Sheriff Boone. Um. And this guy's quite the character, I would say. <laughs> um, like, do you, how would yeah, you? He's the one. Yeah. When I was referencing the, when I was, well, I I thought it was funny, and it goes back to um, the more modern sense of humor and being able to um, utilize uh, and embrace the uh, advantages of animation. He's this really just big dude got mm-hmm. you know huge you know oddly proportioned you know shoulders and it's very 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 top heavy has got you know this huge head and you see his silhouette amidst you know the background of a stormy thing and then he's just got the most he has a very unintimidating effeminate voice that mm-hmm. is comedically clashes with his physical appearance yeah um and he basically serves as the whole, uh, you know, here, here's your warning. Don't engage in this, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm going to go home. You know, he's your, you know, your typical kind of, at least from what I remember, a uh, Scooby-Doo guy that just tries to ramp up the severity or the, mm-hmm. um, I guess, danger of the situation they're about to get the, the gang is about to get themselves into. Yeah, uh, he's 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 fun. He's voiced by Billy West, um, yep. which you pointed out. Uh, he's, I think the uh, the other guy is too. The guy, the, the caretaker, the, is the, episode, too. the caretaker. Is, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the sheriff Boone's is good. He he, you know, tells him, "Hey, there's a vampire in there," <laughs> um, which is fun. Uh, I like whenever people like. I like when, in this case, it is it it doesn't work because we have seen the vampire already attack the gang but i always like when people like warn them about a monster before they see it is always good um but yeah so now we get a fun bit where shaggy and scooby try to get out of the mystery because they've already got their replacements um but of course uh they haven't actually taught morley and bumpy anything yet so they uh are roped in for one last mystery 
which is um, to uh, you know go into this house. We got to figure out what's going on. Um, which, so, uh, just as a quick little side note for character design, um, at the very beginning of the episode, the caretaker. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed this, but um, I think his design bears a remarkable um, resemblance to um, the evil witch in Snow White. Yes. I don't know if it was supposed to, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I was, I was looking at it and it looked very close to the, uh, the evil witch. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. And again, like I, I feel very, I have a very dichotomous, uh, dichotomous reaction to the art design. Again, I've said yeah. this like 40 times now. The the gang looks weird, but everybody else looks really good. So I think the, I don't know. I wish they kind of just redid the design for the gang because I actually, I, I actually really like the art style in this just from, uh, from what I've seen from the environments and the mm-hmm. uh, Persia characters, they, they all look good. Yeah. Um, so the caretaker's name is Paco. He lets them into the house. Um, he offers them some bunt cake, but they end up in the coffin room um, where, of course, there's a vampire. Um, yep. So the gang run away, they split up, and we get like one of the like the first lesson basically, which is a really fun extended sequence where um like so they like Shaggy, Scooby, Morley, and Bumpy all uh, like lock themselves into the side room and uh Morley's takes a fire poker out of the fireplace and he's gonna use it as a weapon, and then Shaggy's like, hey, 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 that's not how we do things. Um so they explain to him the logistics of um of how this part of a Scooby-Doo episode works, where Shaggy and Scooby are now going to go on the offensive against the monster by distracting him. You know, they're going to dress up in a costume, maybe. They're going to, you know, talk around him and confuse him. Um, and just, like, openly, like, metatextually explaining the formula of the show that they're actively in, which is very fun, because mm-hmm. when you have a show, like, a formula as clearly defined as Scooby-Doo, you can easily play with it in this way um and everyone can be in on the bit together which is always good um um do you like the, did you like the sequence um i don't think it was the funniest thing but i think it was it was pretty good sure. when um sh- um i uh i don't know how to uh dis when, when Scooby dressed up kind of like, um, like a lounge know, singer. It, yeah. Yeah. La- there you go. That, that was the term I was looking for the, the lounge singer, the, um, what God, what is that? What is that? Um, who frames Robert, Roger rabbit, Jessica with rabbit. The, yeah. 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 With the, yeah. But the supposed hot, um, you know, animated character. No or whatever. Is it about but, it, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if that floats your boat, fair enough. <laughs> Um, but with, with, when Scooby was dressed and, you know, was, you know, looked kind of like that, you know, I thought it was pretty funny, Yeah. but, uh, I, I actually did like, um, I thought, I thought they were, I, I was honestly, um, I was tricked just like the vampire Mm -hmm. was. So, um, in it there, you know, they, 
you know, Scooby dresses up as a lounge singer and Shaggy is the pianist and, you know, they're, they're doing a little number and then they basically are saying, you know, then, um, uh, God, what are their names again? Uh, something in Morley or whatever. Morley and Bumpy, of course. Morley, yeah, Morley, okay, so Morley's like, yeah, well, wouldn't you, you know, shouldn't, okay, well, he's distracted now. Shouldn't you call like the National Guard or something? And then, you know, uh, Scooby and Shaq are like, no, 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 no. He wouldn't fall for that. <laughs> Can you believe this guy? Can you believe that he would fall for it? And, you know, they're talking to the vampire. The vampire's like, yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> And uh, you know, I you know, but then you kind of find out that they're still working the vampire, and they end up kind of like going, okay, okay, let's you know, let's reenact this scene. Except now, the vampire instead of surprising us is going to be you know already in the room, and we're the ones that are going to be surprised. So we're going to go ahead and go out of the room and shut the doors, and then we're going to come back in and you know surprise you. And the vampire just kind of goes along with it and stays in the room, and then they you know are able to escape that way. So it was kind of a unique, it was a unique way to depict the escaping, but also, you know, I was kind of true because I wasn't necessarily until the very end of the little sketch they were doing, I wasn't exactly anticipating that what they were describing um, was still the maneuver they were doing to escape the guy. I thought they were actually going to come back in the room and continue on the bit. So yeah. from, I guess, um, Maybe I'm just a dumbass and got duped, no. I, I, but, uh, I was you know, too. I was not. I, I, I thought it, I thought it was. I thought it was pretty. I thought it was a. It was a great way to show that, despite the, um, I guess comedic, uh, depiction of Shaggy and Scooby, it was a great way to actually demonstrate that they had an expertise and that mm-hmm. they actually knew what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um. But that is actually the halfway point of this episode, which means we are going to take a break from discussing the plot to play a quick little game, Mason. Uh, this game is called Scooby or Not Scooby. And the way this game works is that each week I collect a series of titles, some of which will be an episode of Scooby-Doo, and some of which will be something else. Now, like a different in, show or something? Yeah, different show. Um, gotcha. So in honor of Vampirol, um, and so in honor of Ample, I've selected a show that I know for a fact that both of us have seen and enjoy. Okay. So the Uh-oh. theme this week is, is it an episode of Scooby-Doo or my babysitter's a vampire? The, uh, Canadian. I watched the <laughs> movie and I watched the series show. a little bit, but God, it's been so many years. Exactly. I, all I remember is that theme song. Uh, Speaking if of theme songs, if y'all have not watched the theme song, just you know, Ethan's going to protest against this. But uh, shut this podcast down and go <laughs> watch the intro. It's a great intro. I will stand by it until the end of time. It's a fantastic intro. It's a great song. Very, uh, pretty good show. Girl next door. Pretty good show. Mm-hmm. Um, the last part, yeah. We can only last for like two seasons. But, yeah, yeah. So, is it an episode of Scooby Doo or an episode of My Babysitter's a Vampire? We'll have to fig- figure it out right now. So, the babysitter from beyond. I'm going to be really reserved in my rationale and just say that because it has babysitter in the name, I'm going to attribute that to the My Babysitter's a Vampire series. So, uh, If only if it were that simple. This is actually an episode of a pup named Scooby-Doo 
in which the gang takes Shaggy's baby sister, Shuggy, to the babysitter, but the babysitter's house turns out to be the old lair of a master criminal who just escaped We are incorporating the entire Scooby-Doo franchise and not just Beagle Scooby-Doo. Okay. Yes, it could be any episode of Scooby-Doo. Even though I have absolutely no recollection, I'm going to try and remember the naming devices and schemes of all the other episodes. Got it. Of all the other, you know, series, franchises, whatever. Art of Darkness. Um, I'm going to be boring and say that you're going to try and trick me. And so you would assume that I might attribute that to my base that is vampire. So I'm going to say that that's a Scooby-Doo title still. This is Scooby-Doo. This is an episode of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Um, in which. Yeah, I, um, I don't. I don't remember that intro specifically, but I think I do remember liking that intro. I just don't yeah. remember it. Sure. But I remember it had a good intro, and I think that was um, the most popular and well-liked ver- iteration, uh, modern iteration of Scooby-Doo. Yeah, very, um, very popular. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Three cheers for evil. Yeah, I feel like that is less... Uh, I guess uh, it's got a less play of word, play on words, perhaps, than um, the other Scooby Doo titles. So I'm going to go ahead and say that that's my babysitter's vampire. It is my babysitter's vampire. I do have yeah. uh, a synopsis for you. Erica decides to join the cheer squad, but Sarah realizes that she's only out for revenge of the head cheerleader Stephanie, who used to bully her. So she also joins to keep an eye on her, but then Benny and Ethan also join as Betty and Veronica. Ethan is the kid that she babysits. Benny is the one that ends up being like, uh, he has magic powers or something, right? Um, And then, uh, what were the girls' names? Sarah and uh, Erica. And Sarah's the babysitter, right? I think so. And then Erica is the stereotypical Disney Channel blonde-haired bully. Yes. Yeah. Just like Lexi on Ant Farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Easy. I guess I remember a little bit more about that show than I thought. The Vampire Strikes Back. Let's see. Um, I mean, that's very clearly a, play, a pun on um, the Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that I feel like Scooby-Doo is a little bit more um, classic with their references and not necessarily so pop culture-y like Star Wars, mm-hmm. at least. So, you know, I'm going to go with My Babysitter's Vampire again. This is an episode of What's a New Scooby-Doo yeah. in which the gang travels to an old Transylvanian castle on rainy night to watch the shoot of the Hex Girls' new music video. Oh, Oh yeah. my god, my wait, the hex girls are in oh uh, you gotta get yep. something okay, I'm gonna have to watch that episode. It's a very good episode. We just talked about it on Vamp Roll, so uh good Oh ep- god, okay. Good episode. Uh this this is getting all over the place. I'm sorry for being so scatterbrained, but you uh managed to make me remember which Scooby Doo movies I've seen. I've seen um the the one with the hex girls mm-hmm. when I think they're performing like Australia or something. Yeah, I don't know if this is the same movie. I don't think it is, but I, I th- the hex girls are in multiple movies, right? Yeah. Um. So there's one where they're the focus, and then there's one where they're not the focus, but they're almost like a guest feature. 
Uh, I think they are a focus in, uh, was it Witch Island? Something Witch like is that? Ghost. Right? Witch is Witch Ghost. Witch is Ghost. I know that is a highly regarded one that's regarded as like the best Scooby-Doo movie by many people. Um, I think. By me. By me. Well, okay, there you go. I really like that one. Um, and then I also know um, the El, El Chupacabra one, or La, mm-hmm. yeah, the El Chupacabra one. Uh, there's the one I vaguely remember. It takes place in like the Himalayas or something. I don't remember the name of it. Sure. And it was one of the newer ones. I think I also watched the uh, samurai one mm-hmm. where they go into a museum and then there's like a samurai thing that's done. And um, also Scooby-Doo Cyber Chase. A classic. I, I only remember that because a lot of people meme on that movie. They do, for sure. For I'm um, sure, for sure. opening up the door. So if they're squeaking, uh, that's what that is. But uh, yeah. Uh, so those are, those are all the Scooby-Doo mo- movies I can remember right now. But I'll have to check that out. I like the Hex Girls a lot. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> all right. How about Hollow Weird? Hollow Weird. Vampire? Babysitter? Yes, this is my babysitter's vampire. Um, All the Scooby-Doo ones so far have been longer, and this one was very, very simple, so I figured it might be just a... Well, how about Jockenstein? That one's a short one. Is that also my babysitter's vampire? Yeah, why not? You're right, it is. You're right? Yeah. Um, How about Ghost Who's Coming to Dinner? Well, if we're following the logic I just earlier employed, I would say that's a Scooby-Doo one. It is, you're right. Uh, one uh, last one. One last one. The Internet on Haunted House Hill. What is that even a pun of? <laughs> the, uh... Say it again, the, the Internet on Haunted House Hill? The Internet on Haunted House Hill. Um, you know what? That doesn't really sound like a high school pun or anything like that or anything that just sounds like a new location. <laughs> Scooby-Doo tends to go to new locations, so we're going to call that a Scooby-Doo episode. This is a Scooby-Doo. I'm actually going to read you the synopsis for this one and let's see what you think of it. So, which series is this? This is from the most recent one, Scooby-Doo and Guess Who, so from 2020. Liza Koshy wants to do an internet video with Shaggy and Scooby comparing pizza while being scared in a haunted house. Liza Koshy. Look, uh, all right, guys. Um, look, I don't mean to offend any of Liza Koshy fans that might be watching this, but, uh, you know what? If she floats your boat, that's good for you. I am not a little <laughs> fan of Liza Koshy. So, um, I can't help but groan when I hear <laughs> when I hear that. Yes, don't, she don't regrettably that. has besmirched the halls of Scooby Doo, the Hallowed Hall, on Haunted House Hill. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was Scooby or not Scooby? Did you have fun? That was pretty good. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, well, we're going to get back to how to train your coward here, um, while the while the you know the cowards were were having this bit with the vampire downstairs, the rest of the game were doing some actual investigating. You know they were fulfilling the flashlight section of the three yeah, F. Mm-hmm. 
And Velma finds a clue, a duffel bag full of gold and jewels, um, which reveals that there's something else going on. Because why would a vampire have a, have a duffel bag full of jewelry? Um, so Morley kind of, uh, you know, oversteps here and like gets outside of his role when he suggests that, you know, the town's been like, there's no one left. Everyone's gone missing, but maybe they yeah, never earlier. They talk about how it's been, it's, it's been a problem that it's not just, you know, a localized situation and how that it's like a bunch of people are um, being affected by this. And um, instead of, uh, you know, typically whenever you become a vampire, you become a vampire and kind of, you know, join or whatever these people that have been affected by the vampire aren't really or that have gone to the manor and become affected aren't really becoming vampires and that they're just kind of acting very oddly they're gathering their things and then they're just like kind of leaving and disappearing and so that's like you know that's kind of their first inkling as to you know there might be something a little more going on here exactly might be more than meets the eye the classic scooby-doo um you know plot on the or mystery within a mystery but morally he's kind of not catching on he's kind of he suggests that maybe everyone in town uh actually was made a victim of the vampire they're all that's why they're missing is because they're either vampire or dead Um, again morally morally seems to be acting as the um as a stand-in for the audience or it's just a stand-in for a more logical less um less uh, mystery or, you know, theory driven group or a uh, person like the, you know, the group appears to be the, someone like, who the doesn't understand person. how Scooby-Doo works. Like it's not e- from the exa- world. Of exactly. 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 Um, so the sheriff shows up again. He's now just in the house and he's, you know, kind of working the room, talking to everybody. And then when he leaves, the bag disappears. Um, Surely there's nothing oh. to that though. Nothing nothing untoward going on there. Absolutely not. Nope. Nope. Nothing Excuse to see. You. We all know how straightforward it is. Mm-hmm. Then Paco the caretaker shows up and he starts talking about how the old caretaker, uh old man Oldman, um vanished mysteriously because he was scared of something he found in the attic. Which means we got to go look at that attic. But Shaggy and Scooby don't want to look at that attic. They're too scared, as you might expect. And they want to leave. They're going to bail. Especially because Morley and Bumpy are determined to stay. They're going to be a part of the gang now. They want to be more effective than, um, than Shaggy and Scooby have been. They want to, you know, earn their keep pulled their weight, so to speak, and Shaggy and Scooby? Yeah, they, they, um, they, they, they said something that, um, while not overtly addressed, clearly kind of struck a nerve with the group. They basically said, um, you know, you know who, who really wants people that just act scared all the time and don't even contribute? And exactly. So, and it was, um, again, it was kind of just kind of foreshadowing that they didn't fit in with the group, that they weren't even... Um, you know, Scooby and Shaggy had just said earlier, you know, the three F's and, you know, not to overstep their boundaries and go into the flashlight F, which was, you know, the, the whole mm-hmm. mystery part of it, the solving 
and you know they were trying to implant their own ideas and that kind of stuff and um kind of demonstrating that they weren't really gonna mesh well with the group. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, so so Shaggy and Scooby have now just left the episode. They leave the gang and they're they're out of the story. Um, we'll never see him again. They're never coming back. This is the end of the Shaggy and Scooby era of, of Scooby Doo. Um, now we are in the Morley and Bumpy era. Uh, it'll be called Be Cool Bumpy pretty soon. Um, that's what we all can expect. So they're gone. And the time has come to inspect the attic. The new five members of the gang go up together and they discover a room full of coffins. Um, This is funny. This is not something that you would know, Mason, but on the episode that we covered last week for Vampiral, there was a vampire episode and there was a room full of coffins. And I was like, that's a fun idea that you don't see every day. And now it's literally <laughs> in the very next episode that I watched a Scooby-Doo. They did the exact same thing. Um, so, I mean, that episode, the other episode came out like 50 years ago. So I guess they, they're allowed to recycle every now and then. There's only so many things you can do. But yeah, it's a room full of coffins. Still a cool image. Um, mm-hmm. And this is where we assume all of the victims of the vampire are in their final resting place. But the other vampire is, in fact, here. He's chilling, and we get a fun... I mean, there's like... I, I mean, there's like... Probably like... A hundred coffins in this room. There, yeah. There, I, I remember... There, there were so many. I, you know, I... You know, I, you know, I knew they called it a coffin room. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I just... Apart from... I guess more Curse Cemetery... I don't think I've actually seen that many coffins. I, I remember kind of being surprised by how many coffins were actually in the, um, I don't know if I really want to call it a, I guess it was a room technically, but it was like, it was a huge room that was like, you know, 30 foot ceilings and everything, but there was just coffins everywhere. In the, uh, in the old episode, uh, Shaggy refers to it as a dirtless cemetery, <laughs> um, which is what this is. You know, just, that- yeah, that's incredibly accurate. <laughs> that's, uh, um, yeah. So yeah, there, then we get a fun chase scene. Uh, we don't really get an original song. It's just like some some drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, said, I was um, when, when the chase scene was happening, I was playing the song that I remember from the the uh, their original show in my head. But mm-hmm. they uh, there's always this one song that I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I felt like they played it like all the time whenever. It was basically the chase scene music. Yeah. Do you remember which song that was? I don't want to sing it because I don't really want to embarrass myself more than I may have already have. But uh, sure. Uh, I mean, I don't know the name of it, but you know, yeah, yeah, I uh, I know what it is. If you, if you were to play it, I'd probably recognize it as the stereotypical chase music that they use. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um. But yeah, so there's it's a chase scene. Um, sometimes in B Cool Scooby Doo, we get like original songs written for the episodes, which is fun. Um, it's just classic stuff. You know, it's like a rainy night. They run around on like the parapets and stuff. Uh, Fred, Daphne, and Thelma go sliding down a like a gnarled tree, which is cool. Just uh-huh. cool imagery. Uh-huh. Um, but then Morley and Bumpy are abducted. 
by the vampire. They're novices. They didn't employ yeah. the uh, lessons they were mm-hmm. taught from Sca- um, uh, Scooby Doo and Shaggy earlier. So yeah, they're just not gonna. Scooby. They're not gonna make it as um, as mystery solvers. It doesn't seem. You know, they no. can't fulfill their roles very well. Again, um, they they do not mesh well. They're they're not picking up what they're. When you know, Scooby and Shaggy were trying to tell them to do, they, you know, you know, mm-hmm. they very clearly don't mesh. They they, nope. don't, they don't work. Nope. So the rest of the trio are, you know, they're like, "Wow, this sucks." You know, Shaggy and Scooby are gone. These oh, yeah, new guys that we don't even lamenting the loss of their group. Mm-hmm. These new guys we don't even really know or like that much have now been taken by the vampire. Like, what are we even doing? Um, you know, I mean, we didn't think that we could be solving mysteries forever um like uh it's um like we can't be doing this for over 50 years that would be ridiculous like like who could who could see that coming um but uh, yeah that'd be insane especially if they never got any older but um they decide maybe now's the time for them to quit quit mystery solving forever but then they hear some voices outside the van saying, you got to be kidding me. And it's Shaggy and Scooby. They're back. They couldn't stay away. And they can't believe that the rest of the gang would ever consider giving up mystery solving. They talk them back into it. Shaggy has a very impassioned speech about how they now see that their role is just as important as Fred, Daphne, and Velma, because someone's got to be scared. Otherwise, how do we know that monsters are scary? You know, like someone's got to do it. Someone's got to be the bait, and they're, they're going to unquit, and they convince the rest of the gang to unquit as well. Daphne's still playing the trombone. Um, you played the trombone, didn't you? Am I crazy? Uh, yes, you are crazy, sir. I would never be a dirty, filthy trombone player. Oh, God. I played the trumpet, oh, mind I, you. I apologize. And <laughs> you, you should. I should never uh, have I guess, I guess the, the unique thing about the trumpets is um, they typically are the, uh, I guess it's just a little unimportant aside, but they're typically the ones that retain the melody in all of the songs, whereas the the trombones tend to be the um, the bass in the uh, in the songs. So, the so I guess suppose the main distinction between them. So the trumpets the are the guys, but yeah, the trumpets are the cool guys, and the trombones are the losers. That's what you're saying. I'll tell you what. As far as brass goes, yes, but honestly, I think the coolest people are the saxes. Saxes sure. in the band, they're really cool. They tend to be the coolest. Saxophone's a cool instrument. What can I say? I mean, it's, uh, you were—you didn't play the saxophone. You were a loser playing the trumpet. All right, I'll, uh, let's draw <laughs> up there. I was the second coolest instrument in the band. Shot, you know. Let's well, I mean, draw up, a, hey, come on. We all know the tuba is the coolest. Let's be real. Let's be real. So, um, I don't know. If, I don't know if you can talk about this, but tubas actually—I had a lot of respect for them because so. Um, if they don't have so the marching version, uh, there's actually two versions of a um, of a tuba and marching band. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is like a sousaphone, which is it's those things that wrap around you and you can wear. Yeah. But the second one is it basically is like a trumpet, but with the size of a tuba. And so for the people that can like carry that and like hold that correctly and everything, mad respect to those people. Cause that is heavy. And having to, you know, hold that for, you know, even during just rehearsals for two plus hours, really, really difficult. So I definitely have a respect for people that can uh, march with the tuba. But as far as their instrument goes, their instrument is crap. I hate how tubas sound. (laughs) (laughs) They are, they're incredibly important in a supplementary nature. But as far as just, you know, singularly speaking, they sound like shit. Sure. Sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, the gang's all back together again. Don't worry. It's not going to be Be Cool Bumpy anymore. It's Be Cool Scooby-Doo. It's all chill. It's all all okay. Um, and the time is to come to stop the monster. You know, we got to lay a trap. Fred's got a plan. So Shaggy and Scooby put on a necklace made of garlic. And they get out some steaks, and they are going to take out the vampire. Um, they free their replacements, Morley and Bumpy, who are like, like done up in stirrups, essentially. Uh, but of course, the vampire is right behind them. So they run away. Fred's got the cage ready to go. Uh, but Morley and Bumpy are the first ones out, so he accidentally drops the cage on them, which is classic Fred blunder. Uh, you know, just well. In a way, I thought I, I thought it was funny. It's um, it was a uh, it was reminiscent of the very the very beginning of the episode where mm-hmm. you know the the cage messes up again, and so uh, or, you know the cage messes up right. Yeah. So even though it's not necessarily the same way. They go ahead and employ the you know exact same uh, strategy, and they try to use a cage, and it um it messes up again. Yeah, in this case, it actually messes up by working perfectly. He just happens exactly, to but cage it just the, wrong the wrong person. Yeah, so, you know, um, the, you know it got, the first time it got caught on something, and it was you know delayed, and then this time it actually you know worked exact you know right when they wanted it to, but it just captured the wrong people. But I don't know. I thought I thought it was funny that they used the exact same um, method as the first time. Yeah. Um, or as so the it, beginning of the episode. Yeah, that is good. So that's the gang keep running. The vampire crashes into the organ and gets all caught up in that. Or an organ, speaking of instruments, great instrument. Love an organ. Pipe organ, really yeah. just cool, classic stuff. People who know how to play an organ are just really cool people. Um, you know how so, to play piano. You know how to play organ. Honestly. All right. All right. Don't no need to belittle organists. Okay. Like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not belittling an organist, but you know, I'm, I'm just saying. You know, it's if you know I, how to play an organ, you can generally play piano and vice versa. I don't know. Don't they have all those knobs and stuff that a piano doesn't have? What do you do with the knobs? Like, yeah, there there's special aspects of the organ, but like generally speaking, like that like if you know how to play piano, you can pick up how to play the organ in a day. And that's like that's different from like knowing sure. how to play a saxophone and then trying to migrate to play like a trumpet. Sure. Or to, you know, knowing how to play a you know, a 
clarinet and trying to migrate to like a bassoon. It's, Fair enough. It's very you know an organ is like a special type of, of piano. Really. I'm clearly not a musician, so uh, I will take your word for it. Um, hey, neither am I. There's a very funny bit where the cops show up and they're going to stake the vampire and kill it. Um, but uh, you know the gang are like, "Hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa! This is not a real vampire. Take it easy here, um, because it is in fact not a real vampire. It is Sheriff Boone." Can you believe it? I don't Sheriff know if you Boone. could hear the. Uh, I don't know if you could hear the the taps I do. I was doing, but I just did that bump, bump, bump. I know you were really shocked by Sheriff Boone. Being yeah, so I think guy. I mentioned this like a, a fucking hour ago. I've been going <laughs> off on so many tangents; it takes forever. But um, yeah, I, uh, I I mentioned this earlier. It's it kind of I guess it goes along with my tertiary knowledge of just. Um, how how stories tend to play out if you know if you have if you have a series that's episodic in nature, um, every, typically every character you're introduced to is in some way going to be important. And um, I, I was figuring that uh, to get um, the the sheriff that was voiced by Billy West, who does a God, I think his name is Philip Fry in a Futurama and. I think he also does um, Zoidberg or whatever he's called. Well, he's SpongeBob. Um, no, yeah. no, it's Tom Kenny. My bad. No, 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 no SpongeBob is Tom Kenny. Yeah, my bad. Um, but but Billy, Billy West is not somebody oh, you would yeah. hire just to do you know a little thirty second uh, little thing as a random sheriff. Maybe it was like a thirty second cameo as Billy West. But right. that kind of goes into my you know background knowledge. I was relying on, so I don't know if that's cheating or whatever you want to call it <laughs> but um i was figuring that he definitely had some sort of larger role to play but i was assuming he was going to be the villain because you know scooby-doo is all about that you know kind of you know twist villain stuff yeah. you know, the you know the guy to point you into you know the direction of whatever troubles happening is typically the one that's actually in you know um causing the trouble though as i'll let you get on with while you're recounting the episode he was not alone in his actions it's true he did have an accomplice in the form of paco the caretaker um Who again looks like the evil witch from snow white yes and they're both voice direct by, reference but they're both, and, yeah, they're, they're by, both voiced billy by billy west though i didn't i didn't really uh you get introduced to paco first before the sheriff I I picked up on the sheriff being Billy West almost immediately, but to his credit, I did not pick up on Paco being Billy West until I recognized that Billy West was in the episode, and then I realized that Paco was still just uh, mm-hmm. Billy West doing another voice. So, um, kudos to Billy West. Guess yeah, good voice actor. So their plan was they uh were gonna, they drummed up rumors about the vampire around town, and then they had. Billy West, or excuse me, Sheriff Boone actually dress up as the vampire and he would go around and scare people out of town so that they could then rob their homes. And the coffins upstairs don't in fact hold victims of a vampire because there's no real vampire, but they hold treasure. And there's a funny bit where the gang opened and they're like, who has all this gold? What's going on? Why is the whole town full of gold and jewels and stuff? Um, but uh, that's 
the that's the plan. And the episode ends with Shaggy and Scooby agreeing to come back to the gang and be a member of Mystery Incorporated again. But uh, Fred does get them to sign a contract this time. Which um, is a reference to um, earlier in the episode. I don't know if you mentioned it, but earlier in the episode when um, uh, Shaggy and Scooby have left and um, the uh, man, I don't know what is with me, but I'm having trouble remembering the guy's names. Morley and Scooby. Everyone knows these guys. They're the most popular characters. In modern Scooby Staples Doo. in the Scooby Doo franchise, the the, the Scooby Doo universe, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, you know they're they're going up to the attic to see these coffins that we were just mentioning, and um, uh, they Fred basically says, uh, our Velma was like, or Daphne, sorry, counting <laughs> this, Daphne was like, I can't believe they're gone, and Velma was like, well, you know, it's not like they were legally legally obligated to. It's not like they signed a contract. And then Fred was like, yeah, they would never sign a contract. And then, you know, I just thought it was a kind of funny little callback to earlier in the episode where Fred literally has them sign a contract despite saying they would never sign a contract yeah. or read a contract, I guess. Yeah, it's um, a good bit. Um, again, I don't know if this is series-wide or anything like that, but it's a little good bit within the episode itself. Yeah. And uh, we do end with a funny gag, I thought. Always a classic where they, you know, they're leaving. They're like, "What happened to Morley and Bumpy?" I guess they, I guess they're they went still home. Stuck in the cage, but they're still stuck in the cage. But they uh, that uh, Fred screwed screwed up on earlier. Yep. Because uh, again, um, I don't know if, uh, but at the towards the beginning of this episode that we're doing, or this podcast that we're doing, you said, uh, "Was Fred your favorite character?" I know you really liked Fred, but. I'm a big defender of Fred. He's not my favorite character, but I do like Fred a lot. Um, yeah, and, and Fred's dumbassery, <laughs> <laughs> ineptitude, yeah, incompetence, yeah. He, um, yeah, he, he trapped them, in yeah, the, in the cage. Pretty, pretty uh, negligent on his part. Reckless endangerment, one might say. Um, yeah, I mean that's kind of French dick. Yeah, he's the leader and he's incompetent. That's why we have Velma who has to do all the legwork while Daphne's there looking pretty. Yep. Um, we will get to our final thoughts on this here in a second, but we have one more game to play, Mason. Now, right. this game is called Jinkies or Stinkies, oh, and the way this game works is that each week I collect a series of stories or facts related to a topic covered in the episode. Now, some of those stories will be true, which are jinkies, and some of them I made up, which are stinkies. Okay? It's up to you to tell the difference. Now, it used to be... Jinkies are... the stuff Jinkies are up. true, stinkies okay. are made up. Got it, got it, got it. Um, it used to be that we would do six stories, but we're going to test out only doing five this time, okay? Yeah. Is that all right with you? All right. Better be okay, because that's all I wrote. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> here we go. The topic this week is replacements, because that's what's going on here. It is people or things that replaced other people or things. <laughs> so, <laughs> very broad, I would say. What, a, what an odd topic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, I couldn't do vampires because we've done four weeks of vampires, which left me with very little other options, I would say. Um, but, 
this will be fine. <laughs> um, okay. The crown jewels of the United Kingdom are a symbol of 800 years of monarchy and arguably one of the most valuable artifacts in the living world. Interestingly, one of the diamonds on the side of the crown is not hundreds of years old, but rather was added to the regalia in 1984. Around that time, the Prime Minister of Greece, Andreas Papandreou, publicly addressed the Queen, demanding England finally return the Elgin Marbles, a set of Greek statues living in the British Museum that were famously stolen from Greece in the 19th century. Queen Elizabeth II refused, but offered a consolation. The Diamond of St. Agrippa was stolen from the Parthenon in 938 AD by Benedictine, who then gave it to the King of England to adorn the imperial crown. Queen Elizabeth offered to remove this diamond from the crown and sent it back to its resting place. The jewel was replaced with a lookalike that is an authentic diamond, but one that was cut in the 80s. Is this a jinky or a stinky? Now, in order to be a stinky, it just has to be false, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a um, a reference to Scooby-Doo, correct? That's right. This game has nothing to do with Scooby-Doo at all. All right. Um, now, before I make my answer, um, I do have to say that as I'm looking at this Discord screen on my laptop, I do find it uh, a little interesting that I'm looking at uh, the different rooms of the Discord mm-hmm. names, and one of them is uh, Jinkies or Stinkies Champion, mm-hmm. and uh, the guy's name is Jutopia. So, yes. uh, Jutopia, uh, in my arrogance, before I declare, um, I suppose I'm going to declare that I'm going to uh, um, uh, depose you from your. Uh, throne mm-hmm. i'm going to say that this is actually a uh, jinky means true right yes i'm gonna say this is a jinky because this feels like um it feels like they kind of have a history of doing that because um it's making me think of this whole um i don't know if you remember uh recently there was like a whole kind of debacle with um hobby lobby and them like owning something they i don't know that was historically significant and they weren't supposed to and i feel like it might relate to england or something but um uh, yeah my rationale is really weak on this one i'm not gonna lie but uh i'll go ahead and say this is a jinky why not looks like you're not gonna be the champion because this is a stinky you know, i was, I gonna, I was gonna try and rationalize it and say that it sounds like the hobby lobby one mm-hmm. and so it sounds like a deviation of the hobby lobby debacle Mm-hmm. And then that would make it a stinky, but I decided to go ahead and risk it to be a jinky. All right. I'm, well, I'm sorry. If only in a future episode, then Jutopia, I'm calling you out. Know, <laughs> this one is, in fact, fake. Uh, but we got four more chances for you to get it right. So let's did see. You, did you really just write that all out and make it up? I did, yes. Yeah. That is, um, that was, that felt like forever. So that was a, yeah, a lot of information. Um, I'm going to get screwed over on this these next four. Like something out of a movie, Harry Cauliflower, a carpenter from Washington, D.C., was plucked from obscurity and invited to play baseball in the Major League. Weeks into the 1899 season, the Cleveland Spiders were 8-30 and and decided to fire their pitcher and their manager. New manager Joe Quinn heard a rumor that Cauliflower was a great pitcher, so he hired him sight unseen and immediately put him on the mound despite having never seen him play. Cauliflower had some baseball experience and did reasonably well in his first outing, which got him to start for several games afterwards. Each game he played, he did worse and worse. He finished the season having pl- pitched 98 innings. 
giving up 152 hits and 122 runs. He struck out eight batters total all season, walking 41, 11 of which he hit with the ball. He was not invited to play the next season and faded back into obscurity as if nothing ever happened. Is the story of Harry Cauliflower a jinky or stinky? My friend is, um, I have a friend named Josh who uh, lives in Maine. Um, mm-hmm. And um, he's uh, he, he's really big into um, baseball and MLB and you know, MLB history to a certain extent. Um, uh, I've actually heard him mention the name Cauliflower. Um, I don't know. There, there's a part of your story, or there's part of your story. I don't remember. Um, so Cleveland used to be for a long time. They were the Cleveland Reds, and then mm-hmm. um, it was kind of deemed racially insensitive to call them the Reds. So they've actually, I don't know if you know, but they've been uh, changed. They're now the um, Cleveland Guardians. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only part of your story that I'm a little bit iffy on is whether or not they were actually called the Cleveland Spiders. But I know that there actually was an MLB player um, named Cauliflower because we were going um, down a list of... Uh, uh, we were kind of recalling people's names in the MLB that we thought were funny because my go-to guy is there was a guy that used to play for, I think, the Red Sox. His name was uh, uh, Coco Crisp, if you of can course. believe it or not. Yeah. Um, but uh, he brought up a guy that had the last name of Cauliflower, though I don't actually think it's spelled the same way as the vegetable. But um, I'm going to go with the uh, Jinkies, which, again, means true, correct? Yes, this is a true story. Yep. Uh, yeah, it is spelled yep. C-O-L-L-I flower. Yep, yep. I think I, I, I think he told me, uh, God, I think it's been like a year or so, but I actually think I looked him up, so... It looks like the uh, Cleveland Spiders were the name of the team from 1887 to 1899. So a long did time ago. Did they change the Reds? Uh, they did change it eventually to the Blues, apparently. But they, they should. The I mean, they were, they, were the, they were the Cleveland Reds, and then you know that was a. I know for a fact they were the Cleveland Reds at least sometime before because it was a reference to Native Americans and their mascot was Native American, and then. It was, you know, like like I just said, you know, a couple minutes ago. Uh, you're thinking of the Cincinnati Reds. The yeah, you Cleveland, know what I am. I Cleveland am. team I was am. the Cleveland Indians, which is I also am. in Cincinnati. Cleveland, yeah, yeah. Though uh, the Reds might be a, I don't know, they might be a. You're thinking of the football, football team, team Redskins, maybe? Um, no, that's the Washington Redskins, and yeah. they changed to lots something of, else. Lots of insensitive names towards Native so Americans. A, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of sports. Um, not to go on a horrible tangent, because I've been horrible about that throughout this entire podcast, but there's been a lot of references to Native Americans in sports, but they've, uh, they've recently been changing that, just like the... Um, uh, yeah, this is the Washington Redskins, and I don't know what they changed to or if they've changed yet, but yeah. But there's also a team in the MLB recently that, again, I I think... I, I think, I it, think was, it was uh, Cleveland changing from yeah, Indians Cleveland to Guardians, the, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, but, uh, all right, yeah. you're at 50-50. We got three more. I'm still calling. A, I'm still calling you out, uh, Jutopia. If, you, if you're listening to this, <laughs> if you've made it this far in this... 
Um, <laughs> no offense to Ethan. This is not his fault. Just gone off a podcast. <laughs> um, I'm still calling you out, man. Uh, if, uh, if you uh, if you want to challenge me, I'll I'll beat you, man. Uh, I got this. I mean, I'll say not only did he go six for six, but he's now done that twice. Um, so that's a pretty good record. You know what? You know what? You know what? This is this is just me. You know, I, I'm just joking around, having a good time. <laughs> if, uh, if if I got serious, I'd be for, forget six for six. I'd be you know forty one for forty one, dude. Like you wouldn't even believe it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Although the movie was a massive success, Ryan Gosling found difficulty landing major roles in the years directly following The Notebook. Therefore, it was a significant move for his career when he was cast in Peter Jackson's The Lovely Bones in 2009, a blockbuster adaptation of a best-selling book. Gosling, believing himself to be too young for the role, decided to change his appearance by gaining 60 pounds in a matter of months. He melted Haagen-Dazs ice cream and drank it and avoided exercise. But when he arrived on set, Jackson was confused as to why he had put on all the weight, as neither he nor the casting director asked him to do this. Gosling was fired and replaced with Mark Wahlberg just a few weeks before production began, leaving him fat and unemployed. Is this a jinky or stinky? Can you say the name of the movie? The Lovely Bones. Okay, so... um... I remember there was something to do with Ryan Gosling and I don't even know if it was the notebook, but I remember that there was some like a racing movie mm-hmm. um, that I feel like Ryan got like is it in, I, I don't know the capacity for um, how it affected his career, but I know there there's some race car movie or not even a race car. I don't, Drive. I think the name of the movie yes. is Drive. Yes. Never seen the movie. I don't know anything about it. But I know Drive and Ryan Gosling have something to do with each other. I mm-hmm. think. Yes. Um, so I feel like you could be, it could, your scenario could be as subtle as just simply swapping um, Drive for The Notebook mm-hmm. um, or, or whatever uh, other movie you just mentioned. Um, as far as Mark Wahlberg goes, what, what is the name of the movie you're saying that this was? The Lovely Bones. The Lovely Bones. Um, not gonna lie, the only movie I know with bones in the name is the one based off the book, I think City of Bones or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Thinky? This is a jinky. It's a true story. Oh, um, man. Oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. You can, you know, you can edit that out. Uh, um, Drive, uh, Drive came out two years after this and was sort of the the kind of resurrected Gosling's career, basically. Um, after after the so yes. So if if I'm okay, so the, you know he got he rose to promise with the Notebook. Mm-hmm. He got fat for this movie and got you know screwed out of this movie. Yeah. And then he had to lose weight and then became, he rose back to prominence with drive. Yes, exactly. Okay. 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 Oh, um, shit. You could still come out positive. I'm still going to beat up Utopia. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to do it. If we go head to head, I'm going to beat him. <laughs> okay. Gonna be we'll him. see. I'm going to be we'll see. Although Beyond Meat has become a very viable substitute, the quest for a replacement for meat has been a long and hard fought one. 
The concept of so-called test tube meat was a pervasive threat in the late 20th century as vegetarianism broke through from hippie behavior to a viable lifestyle. When Milford Labs debuted their soybean-based miracle meat in 1991, the public uh, reaction was outrage as most people refused to believe a plant substitute's could possibly taste good. They were mostly right, as miracle meat was deemed rubbery and bland by people who actually tried it. The Texas Meat Council, however, couldn't let the poor product speak for itself and initiated a hatchet campaign in which Clara Peller, the windy spokesperson who said the immortal words, where's the beef, tried the fake meat live on David Letterman's show and declared it inedible. Health historians claim this one act set the Impossible Meat Initiative back 20 years in the public eye. Is this one itchy or stinky? Um, so, uh, for those of you who obviously don't know me, uh, I'm a student at uh, Texas A&M University, and um, we uh, have a very big um, agriculture uh, uh, culture in the at the school. We um, we actually uh, I wanted to take it, but it was um, it was a uh, it was already filled by the time I could sign up we actually have like a meat judging class and we have a, we have a pretty big industry surrounding um, uh, meat judging and just, you know, agriculture and meat cultivation and all that kind of stuff. So as far as the whole, don't know if that muted me, I pressed cap flock. I don't think it did though. Um, As far as the whole uh, meat thing goes uh, in your story, you mentioned the Texas meat judging council, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. So as far as whether or not that could be fabricated, if there was a, if there was a state or industry or organization that perhaps um, voiced an opposition to this or, you know, created a smear campaign, I would believe it would definitely be the Texas Meat Council, even though I don't even know if that's a thing. I just, you know, as far as the state goes, we're pretty heavy on agriculture, especially um in the you know i'm from san antonio and that's a pretty big industry in the san antonio area just texas in general so um going off the fact that i believe it's fairly plausible for uh texas to have done this uh i'm gonna go ahead and say that this is a jinky uh, this is a stinky i'm afraid it did make this one up you know how much i hate you right now <laughs> 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 oh my god! Opposite. You know what? Jutopia. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you just listen to all these stories, and then in your mind you go, "Okay, so it would be most reasonable for this to happen." So in actuality, it's actually going to be exactly what the opposite of what I think. So mm-hmm. I'm going to pick this one. So I'm going to top the hypothetical Jutopia scenario and rationalization. So mm-hmm. if you ask me, you know, if, if the other ones you're asking me, I believe this is number three. This is the, um, the last, last one's going to be number five. Uh, we've done four. Already. Oh, sorry. There we go. This, this is the fourth. This is the fourth one. Okay. We just finished the fourth oh, one. So one more to go. One more to go. You're you've got one right and three wrong so far. You know what? I'm still the best, dude. You like? <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm just messing around, dude. Uh huh. You don't even know. Yeah. Y'all, y'all don't even know. So you're saying that your strategy for this last one is just to pick whatever you think the opposite of what you would pick is. I don't know with this last one I was going, I was leaning on with, you know, my school and stuff like that. And I actually even, um, 
I even took a uh, avian science class, which is all about mm-hmm. like poultry science and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And they talked a little bit about, uh, or not a little bit, uh, quite a lot about um, the uh, poultry industry and um, some of the stuff with the uh, Beyond Meat or fake meat kind of stuff, which uh, I don't know uh, which restaurant this was. And honestly, at this point, if you if I'm wrong, you can just edit it out this in, in post or whatever. But um, there was some restaurant that uh, recently introduced a, I think they literally called it Beyond Meat or something. But yes, it apparently tasted pretty bad. Do you uh, do you happen to know the restaurant it was? I believe that Beyond Meat is Burger King, perhaps? I don't know, for sure. I was leaning towards Burger King. I wasn't 100% sure. I just want to clarify, though, what you're doing right now is you're explaining that you actually took a class in which you learned about the history of fake meat, and yet you got this question wrong. Not necessarily. I learned about... So um, I learned about... I I learned about chicken, and um, (laughs) it was was avian silence, and it was about... um, how to um how they currently like cultivate uh chickens and mm-hmm. the rise of the chicken basically industry in America the poultry industry in America and yeah. I will say it actually has served me rather well because um I try and um I try and uh not spend a whole bunch of money on groceries and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff and so a uh, chicken is generally uh cheaper than beef and that kind of stuff so um, I buy, I tend to buy TV dinners a fair amount of time and maybe some cheaper stuff, just like taquitos. And what I found is that um, like beef products, like if you have like Salisbury TV dinner steak, or if you have like beef taquitos, they tend to taste worse than um, chicken taquitos or other products like that. And it's not necessarily just my own personal taste. Um Beyond, you know, I like chicken more than beef. I actually like steaks and beef more than chicken. But because chicken is cheaper than um, beef products are, as I learned in the class, um, the uh, when you're looking at cheaper products, it's actually better to go ahead and buy the one that's chicken because it tends to be higher quality when compared to whatever um, beef product you're actually uh, choosing to buy. Like if you had a Salisbury TV dinner for, you know, you know, $2.33 versus a chicken dinner for $2.33. The chicken one is actually going to taste better because it's, um, you're able to, you know, chicken is generally cheaper. And so you're able to get higher quality comparatively chicken to the beef. Uh, I can hear you laughing, but uh, I did. I actually did. I, I, I gained something. I, I actually gained something from that class. It's made me, a little bit more educated in my purchasing decisions. All right, so we have one more drinky or stinky here um, to to discuss. Uh, uh, I might be not a great guest, but hey, I'm, I think no, I'm you're doing finish. great. You're doing great. I was just <laughs> laughing because I I looked at the time. It's currently 11 p.m. I was just listening to you talk to me about chicken. Um, it was just. <laughs> it was. Yep. <funny>. Yep. <laughs> uh, so. This is the last one. Here we go. In 1964, Beatlemania was perhaps at the highest it would ever be. Hot off the release of their first album, the Beatles were scheduled for a whirlwind tour covering a different country every night across Europe, Asia, and Australia. Step back for a second. Did you say whirl, 
do you say whirlwind or whirlwind 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 tour like very fast whirlwind oh, okay tour. okay yeah i get you i get you go on go on sorry um but right in the middle, drummer Ringo Starr contracted tonsillitis, which would put him out of commission for over a week. Rather than cancel shows, producer Brian Epstein decided to hire someone who would fill in, choosing Jimmy Nickel, a studio musician who had recently worked on a Beatles cover album and knew the songs pretty well. A complete nobody, Nickel was plucked from obscurity into the biggest spotlight in the world overnight. They gave him the customary, the customary Beatles mop-top haircut and even made him put on Ringo's suit. Nickel played eight shows as a Beatle over 13 days in several different countries, and even made media appearances with the band, looking noticeably out of place. Once Ringo convalesced, Nickel was out, disappearing from the public eye. Over that ridiculous fortnight, he went from no one, to part of the most famous group on the planet, to no one again. Is this a jinky or a stinky? Uh, when I was like... 15, 16, um, uh, my parents and my older brother uh, watching a little um, documentary spiel thing about the Beals. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I walked in on them, they were uh, talking about a replacement and stuff. And I believe that was the guy's name. Um, so I'm going to go with Jinkies. You're so, not going to go with the opposite of your gut to try and go for the... Uh... The, so the when goal. I talk about going with the opposite of my gut, that's being I have rel- relatively, I, I I'm a little bit uncertain, but like I, apart from the guy's name, I almost remember what you're describing, uh, word for word. So um, apart again, <laughs> apart from knowing the guy's name, I have almost heard this too exact. So unless this guy's name is different, and you're just doing this to screw with me, you know, then screw you. But um, other than that, yes, I believe this is an actual story that happened. I, I, well, I'm you are sure. correct. This is a real story. Yep. This is a jinky. You, you did great. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, you did. You got two. You got two correct. Three wrong. Um, it's not quite enough to be the new champion, I don't think. But you can maybe try again next time. Uh, sure. Why not? I'll, I'll do it against uh, Jutopia. <laughs> this. Uh, this poor sap who I'm just completely picking on. Uh, <laughs> I hope you don't think I hate you. <laughs> no, you're just jealous of his success. It's very clear. Um, oh, we shit. have we have one last thing to do, which is we have to rank this on a tier list, which I'll explain very quickly. Um, there are five tiers for the episode. Uh, at the very bottom is the rut row tier. That's the absolute worst of the worst, the bottom of the barrel. Then we have... Just, I guess, for my own edification, yeah. could you um, give me an example of what you would consider a rut row? We actually have not covered one yet. We've not gotten to one that is that bad yet. All right. Well, I am perfectly fine with appearing on another episode, assuming your fans are okay with me. So, assuming sure. granted that, uh, if you want to cover a rut row, I'm uh, definitely down to watch a rut row. <laughs> okay, you know me. You, I, love yeah. bad, I love bad movies and TV. I know you do. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, we got we got Rut Row at the bottom. Then we have um, then we have Scooby Dumb. That's for episodes we think are dumb. Then in the middle is the Just Another Mystery tier. That's for episodes we think are you know not anything special, but aren't bad. They're just middle of the road. Then is the Groovy tier for episodes we like a lot, but just don't do quite enough to make it into the best of the best. The 
Golden Scoob tier. What are we thinking for Bequel Scooby-Doo Season 2, Episode 4, How to Train Your Coward? What was the one before Golden Scoob? Groovy! Groovy. So I think I'm going to put it in Groovy. Um, I thought it was really good, but I did find myself more entertained with the first half of the episode than the second half. Sure. And the, the, so I would confidently put it in the groovy tier, except, and this might be a little weird, but at the very beginning, especially because throughout this entire podcast, we haven't really talked about it, but at the very beginning of this episode, we have, you know, we have the chicken guy and he's doing his little song and dance. And, um, you know, he finds out it's the wrong, you know, he, he finds out it's the wrong house and he asks, oh, can I use your phone? And, um, I'm bad with names, put this episode up, pa- Paco, right? Paco. Paco. Yeah. Uh, Paco invites him in, you know, the, the chicken guy asks him, you know, can I use your phone to call someone? Uh, the guy's name is Maurice that he wants to call. And Paco's like, yeah, you know, yeah, sure. And so he goes into this room and he, you know, he calls Maurice or whatever. And the, um, the tension, like I, again, I, I know this sounds weird because it's just a kid show, but um, and I'm not actually easily, you know, I'm not easily spooked, you know. It, mm-hmm. you know, it, t- it takes me a little bit to be spooked, but um, they actually established tension within yeah. that scene very, very. It, it was very well. It was there was there was a palpable tension that they established with them. That, you know, the guys making a call, and then there's like this coffin like thing at the end of the room and it just randomly creaks open. And the, the guy in the chicken costume is like, you know, basically, you know, what the hell is that? And he kind of inches over towards it and, you know, Maurice is still on the line and he opens in. There's an, um, you know, there's, there's thing in it or whatever. And he's all surprised and that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, Really, I, I think I think it's still a groovy tier, but that scene alone really kind of elevates it towards me. So um, I'm going to be the, a really annoying guy that introduces half tiers because, you know, of course, we're going to you know make this more convoluted. So I suppose within your um, within your view, this will be a groovy. But within my personal view, I'll call this a groovy point five. Sure. No problem. Um, so I, I actually. I thought it was pretty good. I, I I liked other aspects of of uh, the thing. I, I wanted to ask you um, I, at the beginning of this. I wanted to ask you, and then you were like, "Save for the episode." So I haven't asked. Is this is this show kind of um, a self referential um, a self referential parody of itself? Because yeah. I felt like it was like like the, the this episode was definitely. It felt like it was not only satirizing the genre, but itself in in some ways as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, this is definitely like one of the more satiric um, shows. uh, Well, this, this iteration, this series itself, because I didn't know if this was the episode or if this was a series wide thing. Yeah. It's definitely um, a, a comedic show first and foremost mm-hmm. and, and most of that comes from like meta textual stuff and and like satire and all that sort of thing for sure mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. i recommend be cool scooby-doo i know a lot of people haven't watched it but you know it's on hbo max it's fun there's a lot of good episodes 
Yeah, um, I think um, when I was I, I texted you asking about it or something. I think you said it was um, it aired on Boomerang. It was like a Boomerang original show, right? Yeah, the second season of Beagle Scooby Doo did not air on Cartoon Network. It went straight to Boomerang. Yeah. Um, that kind of makes me think of um, of a um, Disney Channel and Disney XD with um, um, or I guess uh, actually a better comparison would be Nickelodeon with them. Um, so uh, with uh, the Legend of Korra, the sequel to Avatar, the first season, I think the first couple seasons aired on. Um, well, the first season aired on Nickelodeon. The second season aired on Nicktoons, which was the in a way the it, it was the second tier Nickelodeon kind of how Boomerang is the second tier of um or the backup of Cartoon Network. Yeah. And then it uh you know aired online and you know that's a whole discussion in and of itself about how utterly mismanaged that show was. But um yeah, I guess it kind of reminded me of that. But you said the second season, so I'm assuming it was canceled after two seasons. Yeah, but I mean they got fifty two yeah. episodes out of it, so a lot. Yeah, but that's a shame because like I thought it was I don't I, I don't want to sound pretentious or anything, but I I thought it was like a somewhat intelligent show. Like it did yeah. not it was not it was it was not a mindless kid show, which you know, a lot a lot of the shows now there there's definitely some nuance to them when you start looking at like you know, I haven't watched a lot of it, but I've seen enough to know that, like, even you know, shows like The Amazing World of Gumball is um is a sophisticated show for kids, and um, stuff like uh, Gravity Falls and uh, Avatar and you know that kind of stuff. So honestly, I would put this under kind of that level of sophistication. It is a show that's aimed for a younger audience, but it's not like it's not babyfied and simplified enough to be just a kid's show. If that makes, but that even makes any sense. So I respected this episode a lot for that. I thought it was definitely something that can be entertained that um, can entertain a more mature audience and that it wasn't, it wasn't just mindless dribble for young children. I agree. I agree completely. Um, I think it's it is very clever in in its writing. Um, it is hundred percent. It's a shame that it is. more people didn't watch it. Um, well, it Mason, thank you for joining me this week. I really appreciate it uh, for filling in for the end of April. Uh, really, I think a, a good episode that you picked uh, here. I don't know if the other one would have held up as well because I haven't seen it in a long time, but this one certainly was a good fun time uh i think you were a great guest even if you uh started talking about chicken at the end there it's okay <laughs> you know what you 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 brought it out of me what's unfortunate for you is that the chicken has actually been a topic for jinkies or stinkies before so if only you could have gotten I have that a formal education in chicken and you didn't ask me <laughs> what is, what is you would have done very well that. for that one, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I could have. Uh, I I could have even brought on my uh, my professor, sure. who was a he, he, he's an actual. He was a legitimate. He, he was a real. He was an official judge for uh, chicken competitions within the state of Texas and and the United States. He's a, he's a big guy in the chicken community. 
Yeah, he actually learned the poultry industry. He could have got there for sure. Um, but but either way, I appreciate you coming on, and we'll get you back, and hopefully for a rut row, we'll find something really bad um, for the next time you're here. And, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I mean, you don't you're not like a social media person, but if you have anything you would like to plug for the people, be my guest. But I don't think that you're that kind of a guy. Are you? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be the annoying person that says, go find a charity that you like. And if you have $5 to spare, go donate to your charity of your choice. There's nothing wrong with that. Go. Absolutely. I agree with there that. Um, and while you're doing that, if you want to follow me, you can do so uh, at the real Brundino. Oh, uh, here's uh, the funny thing. I actually heard that you were doing a little podcast thing like eight months ago. Mm-hmm. And then it, I tried to follow it, but I think it, it uses something called like an RSS feed or something like yes. that. I downloaded an app to get mm-hmm. to you. And it still wasn't working. And this was like a 35-minute endeavor. And I just said, screw it. And I did. This does not sound. I do not sound like a very supportive friend. No, you're fine. It's like, screw it. I'm not, I'm not figuring this out. So, it, is, um, it is not a perfect system. However, the show is on Spotify. So you can find it there. Okay, that's uh, significantly easier than yes. downloading this. I think I still have the app, but I really had to download an app called RSS Feed or something like that to try and get to you and have me search a random URL. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. So. I appreciate you trying, but you can listen on Spotify uh, to Heavy Metal. There's plenty of episodes. You can go back and you can listen to the All of Vamp Rule for you know, four straight weeks of vampire episodes or older stuff. There's all kinds of... And we, we cover every era of Scooby-Doo on this show. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not picking on Jutopia, but uh, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and tell me what episodes he is so I can... Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he was on... Putting uh, up on my opponent. He is on A Menace in Venice, and he was on last week's episode, Vampire Bats and Scaredy Cats. So, um, so if you want to bone up on that, that's where he is for sure. Oh, He's going to be so... It's going to be the throwdown hoedown of the century. I'm about to battle Jutopia, <laughs> and I'm going to dethrone him. He's going to be so glad to hear people talking about him so much. It'll really just boost his ego. Um, but uh, yeah, you can listen to those. Um, you know, Follow the show. Tell your friends. And as always, to all you meddling kids out there, remember to stay groovy. Ha, 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 ha.